It's 6 p.m. and you are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, April 16th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller and this is the KVMR Evening News. After the BBC headlines, Racial Reckoning reports on turmoil and hope in Minneapolis as the Derek Chauvin trial moves closer to jury deliberations. From the California Report, the State Public Utilities Commission puts the heat on PG&E to keep its promises on hazardous fuel reduction. A roundup of cultural news and weekend weather follows. Finally, Felton Pruitt interviews the owner of a home next to the Idaho-Maryland mine who opposes the Rise Gold Grass Valley proposal to reopen it for business. This is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Samantha Hong Long with today's update. Authorities have arrested more than 130 protesters so far this week in the wake of Dante Wright's death in Brooklyn Center. Police and National Guard used pepper spray, tear gas, flashbangs, and rubber bullets to disperse the crowds. Several elected officials and community members have called for the end of such militarized actions. CARE Minnesota President Jaylani Hussein says the so-called Operation Safety Net has only led to greater injustice. The governor right now needs to stop and end safety net. They are not helping, they are only hurting us. The Wright family is now represented by civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who also represented the family of George Floyd. He says the fact that the officer in Wright's case has already been charged is a sign of change. We are making progress, and I want to encourage those protesters, those young people, those activists, that you're making a difference. And Minneapolis, Minnesota, right here now, is ground zero for that change. Meanwhile, the defense rested its case in the Derek Chauvin murder trial Thursday morning. Chauvin did not testify. Have you made a decision uh, today whether you intend to testify or whether you intend to invoke your Fifth Amendment privilege? Uh, I will invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege today. Court is in recess until closing statements Monday morning. After that, the jury will be sequestered and deliberate until they reach a unanimous verdict on Chauvin's second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter charges. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Samantha Honglong. Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California's big utility companies have all said they're doing more to make sure their equipment and power lines don't spark big wildfires. But state utility regulators have voted to take new action against Pacific Gas and Electric after finding the company hasn't done enough. KQD's Dan Brecky reports. As part of a state-mandated wildfire safety plan, PG&E promised the California Public Utilities Commission last year that it would remove dangerous trees from along 1,800 miles of power lines in areas most prone to wildfires. But as CPUC Executive Director Rebecca Peterson told commission members, the utility bypassed the most dangerous parts of its network. The company completed less than 5% of its enhanced vegetation management work on what it had identified as its 
20 highest risk power lines. The commission ordered PG&E into an enhanced enforcement process that aims to ensure the company focuses this year's tree work on the most dangerous power lines. PG&E must submit an initial report on its progress in early May. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. And meanwhile, thousands of victims of California wildfires that have been linked to PG&E have received payments totaling more than $141 million from the utility's bankruptcy. In a letter to victims filed this week in U.S. Bankruptcy Court, the Fire Victim Trust says it sent money to more than 7,500 victims of the 2018 campfire, which destroyed the town of Paradise and other wildfires that were caused by PG&E equipment. But the trust warns that the payment process is proceeding at an extremely slow pace, as money has only been sent to a little more than 10% of fire victims so far. These initial payments are geared toward the most vulnerable people who have also been deeply affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere. And California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org voices. And now to a preview of our sister show, the California Report magazine. This weekend, it's launching a series to honor some of the more than 60,000 Californians who've died from COVID-19. This week's remembrance is about Eric Warner, the son of Filipino immigrants who was born and raised in San Francisco. Warner died last July in San Quentin prison at the age of 57. Eric's older brother, Hank, brings us this tribute. Having an only brother incarcerated for life leaves a hole in your heart. You long for sibling companionship and guard your secret for fear of shame. Growing up, we collected polywogs after big rains. We adventured new horizons on bikes, imitated major leaguers in the schoolyard. Life was simple. We happily sang along to Don McLean's American Pie, oblivious to the foreshadowing of things to come. By our teenage years, Eric and I drifted in opposite directions. As adults, I only saw him at times of crisis, like when he lost his leg in a tragic car accident, or when I visited him at county jails and hard-to-reach penitentiaries. As he began serving his life sentence, we reconnected through handwritten letters. I committed to helping Eric survive. He needed a life of meaning and purpose. For more than 20 years, we talked about spiritual guidance and emotional fulfillment. Like workout partners, we had a regimen for building his mental and emotional strength. Complete transformation came after he graduated from rehabilitation programs. San Quentin's intense workshops gave Eric the tools to conquer his demons. He learned how to live a life of redemption. E, as he was known in the pen, studied law in the prison library. He handled his own appeal 
and successfully reduced his life sentence. But California's three strikes law, the root problem to over-sentencing and deadly overpopulation, prevented him from ever seeing freedom. His resolve would not be broken. E used his valuable new skills to help hundreds of incarcerated men fight for their legal rights. He became the prison lawyer. Soon after Eric died, I received an overwhelming number of texts and phone messages. Hello, Hank. Uh, this is Miguel Casada. I'm always a friend of your brother, Eric. And, uh, Formerly incarcerated uh, men and prison staffers reached out to express their condolences. All had to let me know how much Eric meant to them. And yeah, I was just calling to say I'm so sorry um, to hear of his passing. And I'd love to just share some of my reflections of who Eric was as a man and just offer my support. Hi, Hank. This is Danny. I'm calling on behalf of your brother, E. He's a, a good friend of mine. And uh, I just wanted to call to connect with you and to see if there's any way that myself and his friends can support you and the family. I couldn't understand what motivated these people to reach out to me. Then it hit me. Eric's life may have been taken by COVID, but his spirit will live on. He left his legacy. You can hear Hank Warner's full tribute to his brother Eric on this week's California Report magazine. Listen on your local station or check out the magazine's podcast. And as we continue to report on the toll of the pandemic, we'd also like to hear from you. Has someone you've loved, who is maybe an essential worker or a member of a vulnerable community, died from COVID-19? Visit kqed.org slash a year of COVID to honor them. And that's the California Report for Friday, April 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great weekend. some news that might affect your experience next week on local highways. Caltrans is scheduled to resume construction Monday on its $27 million safety improvement project on State Route 174 between Maple Way and Ubet Road. The project, which began last August, is realigning several curves, widening shoulders, and adding a southbound left turn lane at Greenhorn Access Road. Work will take place Monday through Friday between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on occasional Saturdays. 20-minute delays are anticipated. Major construction work is set to begin Monday on a State Route 49 safety improvement project between Round Valley Road and Quail Creek Drive. The $4.3 million project is intended to reduce collisions by constructing a two-way left turn lane with an increased southbound shoulder. Motorists may expect nightly one-way traffic control next week on Highway 49 between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. Monday night through Saturday morning.
In weekend entertainment news at the Miners Foundry patio bar, Masha and Jeff Crawford, known as Old Souls, will perform fiddle and banjo tunes Saturday from 3 to 6 p.m. Sunday at 3 p.m., Christopher Lee and Allison Green will play their blend of folk, country, and Americana. Tonight's comedy show at the Foundry's Deer Creek Bar has sold out both sets, 6 and 8.30. One week from tonight, the Center for the Arts will present, live from the center, the band Elevation. Elevation is a Northern California funk, rock, jam, and dance band with vocals from frontman Jay Silk and singer Bryn Farwell. The show is online next Friday at 7 p.m. Information at the Center for the Arts website. Ubinet.com reports that stories from the Ready Springs Elementary 7th and 8th grade writing Raiders are on display on the windows of the new Penn Valley Library location on Pleasant Valley Road. The exhibit will be up through May 5th and highlights the talent and creativity of local youth. Circle's Wild and Scenic Film Festival has opened film submission for the 20th Annual Festival to take place in January 2022. The festival showcases environmental and adventure films that illustrate the Earth's beauty, the challenges facing our planet, and the work communities are doing to protect the environment. The festival welcomes the submission of shorts and features about nature, community activism, conservation, intentional adventure, health, water, energy, climate change, wildlife, environmental justice, food, and farming. The 2022 festival theme is expected to be announced early in May. Circle says it is cautiously optimistic that the 20th annual festival will be held in person in Nevada City and Grass Valley next January 13th through 17th. A youth-driven initiative called the Nevada County Harm Reduction Art Project is seeking submissions of poetry, writing, visual art, music, and dance from teens and young adults through age 25. This virtual art project is designed to support other young people in processing losses caused by the opiate overdose crisis in Nevada County. Entries can be anonymous. Find out more by emailing nevcoharmreduction at gmail.com or by calling 530-388-6364. The regional weather forecast for the weekend is dry and warm. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, some clouds giving way to mainly clear skies with a low of 54 degrees. Mainly sunny Saturday with a high of 76 degrees and a low of 56 Sunny and warmer Sunday in Nevada City and Grass Valley with a high around 80 degrees and a low of 56. After Monday, daytime highs in our area are expected to cool down to the low 70s. Tonight in Truckee, clear with a low of 27. Saturday in Truckee, sunny with a high of 57 degrees and a low of 27. Sunny and warmer Sunday with a high in the mid-60s and lows in the low 30s. Truckee will have mostly sunny days through next week, with daytime highs in the 60s and lows in the 30s. In Sacramento, clear skies tonight with a low of 49 degrees. Saturday in Sacramento, sunny with a high of 87 and a low in the mid-50s. Warmer Sunday in Sacramento with a high of 90 and a low of 52. For most of next week, Sacramento will have daytime temperatures of around 80 degrees. 
What are the likely outcomes if the Idaho-Maryland mine is reopened as proposed by Rise Gold Corporation? Felton Pruitt interviews a homeowner near the mine about her concerns. We're talking with Christy Hubbard. She's a property owner who is adjacent to where the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine would go in. Uh, Christy, thank you for joining us here on KVMR. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. During World War II, uh, the Idaho-Maryland mine uh, ceased production and, and was stopped. We are now in 2021, and a couple years ago, they proposed reopening the Idaho-Maryland mine. An organization called Rise Grass Valley is part of that right now. You're a homeowner in that area, uh, right there, and you're opposed to this project, and that's why we're going to talk with you. Yep. Why are you opposed to this project as an adjacent property owner? Well, we've got several concerns. One of them is the impact to wells. I happen to run on a private well here, so we are very concerned about the impact that we could have about either fouling or damaging our wells altogether. Another major concern is the property values. I know that there are some folks that have talked with real estate agents in the area who are projecting that once the mine actually opens, that'll be something of a 5 to 20% drop in property values. And the reason for the drop in property values is because the entire character of the neighborhood is going to change. Instead of being a nice, peaceful, rural, residential area, nice and quiet all the time, right? We're really literally talking about taking a noisy, heavy industrial business and putting it right in the middle of that, right? Right next to long established, as you said, you know, it's been since World War II since it shut down, right? This is a long established residential area. So really the peace and quiet that we all sort of bought our homes to have is going to be ruined. And we're talking about traffic. Certainly one of the big concerns here is air quality because we've got all of this effectively toxic rock that they're going to be bringing out uh, even though they're going to try to you know try to limit the amount of dust there's no way they can that's absolutely not possible to completely eliminate and so we since we've already got a lot of air quality problems here the idea of having all of you know uh, silica dust and asbestos dust and all of the nasty chemicals of diesel fumes for all of the trucks that they're going to be doing not only hauling the rocks but also they have uh, all of their en- engineered fill, you know, excavators and all of that uh, and so on. So we have really big concerns about what's going to happen, not only with noise, but air as well. And also, of course, vibration, because we're talking about blasting and we're talking about drilling and, and all of that. So all of a sudden, this neighborhood that has been so beautiful and idyllic is now going to be really under stress. So, so not only is it going to be less fun to live here because noise, vibration, traffic, and so on, but our property values are going to drop too. And that's, that to me is a really huge concern because, you know, there are a number of us uh, who, who really, you know, wanted to make this to be our forever home. And, and the money that we put into this home is a key piece of our nest egg. So it's not going to be as much fun to live here, and it will be even less fun when we have less money in our pockets. Now, currently, that area is not zoned for a large mining operation. It would take the Nevada County Planning Commission then to change a zoning rules uh, for this to happen. Is my understanding correct? That is our understanding as well. Yes, absolutely. It, and in fact, when we moved into our home, that was one of the things we looked at. We knew we were going to live next to a, you know, a former mine. And we looked at the zoning, and it is zoned light industrial. 
in order to approve this mine, they actually have to add this exception for mining. And that's just a completely different scenario. I mean, we looked at it and we said, hey, light manufacturer, we can put a business park or some little light manufacturing in here. We had no, we had zero problem with that idea as our neighbors, right? But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is one of the most toxic businesses in the world. Gold mining is incredibly toxic. So it really feels very much to us like, wow, you know, we came in under certain conditions when we purchased this home. But in order to approve this, they're really talking about doing something way different than that original expectation. This is the KBMR Evening News. We're talking with Christy Hubbard. She's a property owner adjacent to the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine, which Rise Grass Valley is proposing reopening. Have you talked with the Planning Commission, Christy, yet? Have I personally? No. I have been very involved with the people at CEA and uh, the campaign that is called Mine Watch. So I've been updated with other people who've talked to the Planning Commission, but I haven't spoken with them personally. Explain what CEA is. Thank you. It's Community Environmental Advocates Foundation. It's one of the leading groups in the community who is uh, really digging in and looking at this very, very closely and working in opposition to opening this mine because it feels it's very dangerous. Have you tried reaching out to Rise Grass Valley and talking with them? No, I've never spoken to them personally, no. Where do things go in your point of view from here? I think we as a community need to really speak out and talk with our supervisors about all of our concerns here. I think the best outcome is that we don't have any mine at all. But if the mine does come, there's just huge concerns about very real property loss value, potentially wells, uh, losing wells. There's just a lot of things that we would then have to get into a very deep conversation, uh, maybe even at legal levels, about about protecting our interests and bonds and all of that. But I really believe that the first best thing to do is for the community and reach out to the community and let people know that we need to really get out there and tell our supervisors that having an ultra-hazardous business right in the middle of an established rural residential community is just not the right thing to do. We've been talking with Christy Hubbard, one of the property owners adjacent to the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine. Thank you for speaking with us here on KVMR, Christy. Thank you for having me. That's our newscast. Stay tuned for the California Report magazine coming up next at 6.30. It features one man's tribute to his only brother, who died of COVID-19 while fighting to redeem himself in prison. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. We get support from Whitewater Naturopathic Medicine. Doctors Carolyn and Gregory Weisswasser provide integrative women's and family health care, digestive analysis, hormone optimization, and more. Located on East Main Street, Grass Valley, serving Central California since 2004. Whitewaternaturopathic.com. 
The KVMR Evening News will be back Monday at 6 p.m. Have a great weekend. Thank you.